business today must deliver radical innovation. Challenges like the climate emergency and threats to our planet simply demand it. But what does that look like? And what opportunities does it unlock? By reimagining materials and the supply chain of products they create, companies can capture astonishing growth opportunities and the imagination of entire industries. Today's guest is living proof, showing us how a new approach to everyday materials can usher in the next generation of products with almost unlimited business growth potential, inspiring each of us to see industry challenges as marketplace opportunities in disguise, just waiting to be leveraged. So if you want to lead the future of your industry, don't miss this opportunity to hear how it's done and listen in now. From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm joined by Dan Widmeyer, CEO and co-founder at Bolt Threads, who'll discuss how his biotech company is pioneering sustainable materials to transform the fashion and beauty industries, and how by solving for systemic problems, you can unlock almost unlimited marketplace opportunities. So Dan, welcome to Lead with We. Thank you for having me. Really a pleasure to be here and talk about what we're doing and and where the future of uh, the planet is going in fashion. You know, it's really interesting you say that the future of the planet does turn on all these industries, right? You know, I, I think we all need to sort of soberly recognize that a lot of the mess we're in with the climate emergency, loss of biodiversity, plastic in the ocean, it is a function of our collective efforts. We've done this. And to your point, our future is going to be largely determined by, you know, what we do next with the industries. Would you say that's fair? A hundred percent. And I think people lose sight of that often. We think that uh, what we've done to the planet is a consequence of having cars or of pumping oil. And those are parts of it, but it's the totality of our impact that is, that is all here. And we don't think about many of the industries, many of our actions as having uh, uh, harmful or even beneficial impacts on the planet. And that's, that's what we're focused on. We're trying to find one of these places where maybe you're not thinking about it every day. More people every year think about fashion, but uh, uh, it's not the first thing that comes to mind when you think climate change. I completely agree. And I mean, the whole idea of Lead With We, the, the reason I've got this book coming out and the reason the podcast is called this is for that very reason. The mess we're in is a sum of all these little incidental actions that all of us have taken that in and of their own right probably don't have the world's worst impact. But together it's created a huge negative impact. But the good news is, by the same token, those small efforts by all of us that are positive, that do less harm and more good, can accumulate and compound and really solve for it. So use those same dynamics or interconnectivity in our favor as opposed to against that. Do, do you see that potential? 100%. I mean, that's, that's why I started a business and didn't become a professor. Uh, I saw the value of if you could build a business that is aligned with those little impacts compounding, you could have a massive impact on the planet and maybe solve the, some of the challenges we have in the timelines we have, which if you just waited for government to solve the problem, or if you waited for individuals to just on their own, listen to podcasts and read books and change their actions, that's going to be a really slow way to do it. And I think that when you've seen massive change in this world, it's been this interesting blend of distributed social action from people 
and uh, 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 companies' products and services that allow them to adopt it in mass scale quicker than you'd ever expect. But you do you make products that just uh, just capture the imagination, and I'd love you to step through micro silk, silk protein, and Milo. So let's talk about micro silk, right? That's that yep. that comes from spider's web and i also want to understand how you get it out of the spider or how you do that because i've got these visuals in my head that are quite concerning oh yeah uh you would have loved the early days of this company when we were still trying to understand the biomechanics of the spider to try and replicate it so spider silk popularized uh by a lot of things but probably most famous because of uh uh the uh, the work stan lee uh uh the you know uh famous uh, inventor of many comic book franchises in the U.S., created Spider-Man. And everyone could read these comics, and there's this superhero that's got, like, powers from these spiders that allows them to make this material that's stronger than steel, and you can, you know, save the the, the falling uh, citizens of the big city in a city bus and, you know, haul them back up from falling in the river. And it's the, the, based on some amount of fact in that spiders make this incredibly strong, incredibly tough material that they make their webs out of. Uh, and we were very inspired by that uh, as an example of a material that nature evolved uh, over hundreds of millions of years and was far superior to anything that smart chemists, scientists and engineers had done with uh, petroleum products, with oil based products and fibers or other natural fibers in the last hundred years. And so what we set out to do in the beginning was create microsilk as an example. And what most people don't realize is that uh, it's spider silk is not a single thing. If you go find a spider, the ones you find uh, in, around your house are all female. The males are little tiny guys hiding in the corners. Uh, so all the, all the girls you find have six different kinds of silk they make on command that are different properties. So it I makes no one idea. that's... Yeah. So like uh, uh, if you find a web, if you're not terribly arachnophobic, um, you touch the spirally parts, it'll stick. It's got a silk on that that coats it, makes it a separate thing, coats it. It's a glue. It'll stick to your finger like you're a fly. You can then stretch it. The silk it's coating on is like spandex. It'll stretch up to seven times its length and then rebound. And then the ones that make up the frame of the web are the super strong ones that, that, that were the inspiration for Spider-Man. And so what we realized very early on is that Microsilk is not just one product. I mean, it is for us. Microsilk is a product. But it's, it's, if you can make one, you can actually make lots of things and solve lots of problems. And this is part of that inspiration that, like, nature's figured out a lot of things. If we can figure out how to use biotechnology, you get, you get two massive benefits for free. Um, one, uh, everything that's evolved on Earth is pretty good at being recycled by the Earth. Uh, not terribly. There's a water cycle and a carbon cycle and a nitrogen cycle, a phosphorus cycle. Like four billion years to figure out how to recycle everything that it grows. Uh, that's a that's a for the current crisis of the climate. That's a really big benefit. The other big gift, and, and, and you know you couldn't have drawn this up any better, is that evolution works by storing information in DNA, and we leave the DNA around all over the planet like a gift. Now, it didn't matter for vast majority of the 4 billion years we've been around, but we have a, a technology now called DNA sequencing, where we can sequence the human genome, right? Diagnose diseases, figure out what, what potential uh, or future risk factors we have for, for various chronic medical conditions. But we can also go and look at what happened with evolution over billions of years by looking at the DNA, essentially doing forensics, 
And so we can look at materials that, that exist today because we can read the DNA and we can look at maybe piece together what they evolved from and what's maybe no longer here because there's no longer organisms alive. And, and that factor, the ability to read essentially the blueprints left behind over 4 billion years is a big old gift for us when we want to craft the future. That's amazing. I mean, you know, just these, just the whole idea that nature leaves this DNA blueprint everywhere as this constant sort of confession of, of this gift, you know, of insight and, and ingenuity and innovation. And it's a really powerful idea. And I know you also make silk protein, which is a skincare ingredient that comes from spider silk as well. What, what on earth is that? Yeah, we call it B silk. Uh, it shows up in a range of personal care products, uh, hair care, skin care. Uh, there'll be a bunch more. So every time you walk through soon. a spider web and you're like, oh God, get it out of my hair, get it off my face. You're yep. like, what are you doing? Well, this is one of those weird things where we were making micro silk. We were making lots of different silk proteins. And we had this idea. We had someone come to us and say, you know, uh, I work in the personal care industry. We have this really big push to be clean, clean beauty, clean care. Uh, we want to get rid of, we want to be more sustainable. We want to get rid of animal products. We have a, we want to be vegan. Uh, we, we have this long history of toxicology problems from petroleum chemistry uh, compounds. So you look at the side of a, of a personal care, like a shampoo bottle, and there's like all these names that, that read like chemicals. Um, they want to simplify the, the push, the trend has been to simplify. And we're like, well, you know, you look, I don't know anything about this. Like, <laughs> I don't, like but, but we good, we're good at materials and we can make animal free materials. But that's uh, when you go, yes, and just yeah. work it out later on. Right. Right. And, well, and what we, we, we learned was that when we started making products, like, you know, we looked at what was going into these products and we looked at what, what, what they desired and like, you know, maybe something in the platform of things we're doing makes sense here. And we found a derivative of microsilk that, uh, it, it replaces animal proteins in, in products. Uh, it's an animal free source because we, uh, we can mention briefly how we do this. We, we don't use the spiders. We, we, um, we look at the DNA, we, we sequence it. And then we go and chemically synthesize. We have a partner who will, will make the A's, T's, C's, and G's. We can type them in our computer, whatever sequence we want. They'll synthesize it, send us in a FedEx envelope with a little tube that's the DNA. We'll put that in uh, cells like yeast and grow them like making beer or wine and then collect the spider silk protein or the micro silk protein uh, and then use that. Um, so we started playing around with different silk proteins formulating into these uh, products. And we found all sorts of interesting benefits that we wouldn't have guessed if someone had not come asking if, if they could try it. Uh, and that's turning into an interesting business in, you know, like I said, hair, skincare, color cosmetics, things like that. Just wide range of products and, and just uh, never would have guessed. Just delighted. It's such a powerful proposition to, it's almost like uh, step over all of these poor equivalents that have really been developed at the cost of our planet and our future, and to look back to the source in nature and to create um, equivalents that really are as good, if not better for us, but also don't do the harm. And I know that, I mean, one of the biggest areas is leather, you know, in terms of the cost to animals, carbon, you know, agriculture. You have a product called Milo, which is really interesting. I think some of us have heard out there about mycelium and fungus and so on, but explain to us what that is because it's extraordinary 
how you're sort of repurposing what's going on there. I'm going to talk your ear off about my album. I want to step back to B-Cell for just one point sure, that I think please. is actually really important to understanding where this goes. B-Silk's an interesting story, right? Because it starts with Microsilk. We then discover it because someone asks. And it's only enabled because we have it. And that's actually the thing here. So nature left all these blueprints, but we don't have things where, you know, a, a human who wants to develop a business, a product, a service, can, you can't just take something from nature and develop it. It's usually in tiny quantities or in esoteric locations. Uh, we view it as if we can make things available. We're not smart enough to predict the future. Like we're, we're smart about some things, but not much. If we can make products from nature available, we can then start playing with and finding where they're useful when we go to experts in, in all these little niches that they're smart about. And that's the crux of the story is like nature made a lot of stuff. Someone needs to make what nature invented available for humans to adapt to solve the problems that we have created. Um, uh, Milo is a similar story. Uh, mycelium have been around us this whole time. Mycelium are this thread-like structure under the ground. Uh, if you find a mushroom, a mushroom is a fruit of, of an organism, like an apple on a tree. The mycelium is like the rest of the tree. Uh, it's under the ground. It's, it's breaking down uh, organic matter in the soil and then turning that into the fruit mushrooms once in a while. Um, the biggest organisms on the planet are mycelium. They grow under, in the U.S., there's one that's about the size of a whole state. Um, it's growing under the ground and it's continually expanding. Uh, what we did is we, we created a, a, an alternative to leather that we call Milo uh, that uses the, the mycelium as the fundamental building block. And then we will create different grades by mixing in different grades of different strains of uh, mycelium and all sorts of things to try and create a non-animal, non-petroleum based alternative to leather because we see um, uh, animal agriculture, uh, when you break down the sustainability problem in the buckets of, of one of the most harmful things we've done on the planet, uh, in and of itself is tiny, uh, tiny scale, not bad. When you try to feed the world animal protein to the scale of the Western diet, at 8 billion of us, it turns out to be a really big problem. And so um, how you find the ways to replace those products is really important. And, and leather is not the biggest product stream, but it's a very important one to this fashion industry, which is part of what got us into this. Help us understand from a pure business point of view, how can micro silk or B silk protein or Milo, how are they being applied and how are you trying to disrupt industries? Yeah, so we are really focused and, and, and B-Silk and Microsilk are great examples and Milo will, will, will naturally fit into that. Um, you, when you start a business, you have this unfortunate thing of your commercial enterprise and you serve a customer and if the business doesn't you know, make some amount of money, it goes out of business. Uh, so we chose to be very focused in who we who our customers. I think the customer selection process is a really important one because at the end of the day, a business has to be really smart about understanding who your customer is and serving them well, right? Uh, uh, you know, the, the Americanism of like the customer is always right. Sure. Broadly speaking is true because the customer is the one who makes your business a business. Um, so we chose the essentially the businesses, the way we think about it is they're the businesses where they make products that, that touch your body all day, every day. And that is that is what ties together apparel, fashion, footwear, accessories, uh, bags, belts, uh, your iPhone case, stuff like that, and then beauty and personal care. 
right? We put skincare product on our face or on a, uh, put sunscreen on uh, and wear it all day and it's sitting on your skin. And we think that this is a particularly valuable area for materials from nature for two things. One, valuable area where natural materials just feel better. Is a, yeah. We have a hard time defining it. At Bolt, we've got this really nice, interesting proprietary way of thinking about why we prefer it. But uh, in, in mass, people prefer natural materials against their skin rather than not. Um, uh, and two, in a world where we want to be part of the solution to um, the, the many, many impacts of, of a changing planet, um, we think it's a place where you, can, you get a lot of visibility to taking action. Right. If you if you you know uh, clothing your your consumer choices are usually an expression of your uh, uh, values of your ideals uh, uh, in a in a really um, tangible way day to day. Right. Even somebody who says, "Oh, I, I don't have a fashion. I, I don't have a, a, a you know a fashion uh, uh, angle. You, you know, I wear the free T-shirt from the conference because I'm a nerdy scientist." You're like, well, actually, you just defined that you have a fashion angle. Right. It's just it's this, not 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 Gucci, right? Uh, and so, um, so we see it as a really valuable industry to serve. It's also a giant one, right? It's it's one of the few industries that 100 percent of humans on the planet participate in, whether you like it or not. Well, okay, not 100. percent It's like a really high fraction. You know, there's probably some, I don't know what the, the numbers are, nudists, but it's, it, it's not a big number. Well, also, I think, what is it? It's, it's apparel or textiles, um, it's energy and it's food that are the three biggest arguable, you know, polluters of the planet. Yes. And so, you know, here you are, you know, you put all this sort of effort in to develop this IP and learn from nature and develop these sort of proprietary products and you're sort of scaling the business. But over the last 12 years, it must have been. You know, what have what have been some of the challenges? Is it to help, you know, these industries that are so set in their ways to even get their head around doing something different, or is it the challenge of I don't know taking it to scale where you go, well, great, we've done these little prototypes or whatever, but like to mass produce them to serve these massive industries, how do we do that? Like, what are some of the things that really were a struggle to go from like concept all the way through to what you're doing now? Oh, it's it's everything. And both of those <laughs> things you just mentioned and more, right? And this is this is this is the challenge of building a deep technology business. Is often that means you're striking out into a way where you have to solve real authentic science challenges, right? Things that humans have never understood properly before to build a business. You have to solve scale challenges. You got to raise capital. Uh, in this case, um, we had a th nothing more than a concept, right? And I said this so day one with my co-founders of the business. I was like, you know what? I think there will come a day that consumer companies, if we're right on this climate change thesis and that people are going to feel the need to respond to an acute crisis, there'll come a day when consumers and brands will demand uh, uh, sustainability be higher in the product hierarchy than quality and performance. Because historically, it's always been like, great, it's got to be the highest quality. And if it happens to be green, that's cool, right? Um, the thesis was that would, that would reverse at some point. Uh, but it was acknowledged in 2010. That wasn't true. And we were probably pretty pessimistic that it was going to be like uh, that 50 years. It was going to be the 49th year um, uh, when, when brands flipped that around. But it was essentially a, a belief that this industry would go from mostly not caring about sustainability to being one of the leading issues. And, and 
uh, and leading to drivers for adoption. That that has happened. It took about 10, 12 years, but, uh, but it was all concept and strategy in the beginning and it had to manifest into reality. That, that was something not in our control. Like that could have just, we could have continued on that path and it could have been unimportant to be sustainable for 10 more years. And who knows if we'd make it that long. The crises that we're in and how it's showing up every day is sadly a double-edged sword. It's good in the sense that we're waking up, we're paying attention now. And I, I know that you express your vision that you talked about in the first place is like envision a world where you don't have to deplete or pollute forests, oceans and rivers to benefit from nature's secrets. Is that sort of, is that your guiding purpose? Is it your mission? Like what is the driver of the role you want to play in the world? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we know that this is multifaceted, right? Like we're, we're one piece of, of, a, of a whole and, uh, you know, the way we talk about it internally is a uh, systems thinking, right? There's many interconnected systems that work together to build uh, 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 an ecosystem on the planet, to build an economy, to build a society, like many moving parts. Everyone plays a, a specialized role that builds up into the whole. Uh, I think what we think about is how do we play our part and support the adjacencies in the, the, the global ecosystem of, of human society? to uh, uh, to build up a whole where we live within the boundaries of what the planet can support uh, by, you know, I happen to like biodiversity. I think it's really valuable even beyond just the fact that it's cool to look at. Right. Uh, and I think the business helps prove that case because we go looking in nature to find the next product and the next solution. We think that that's true about a lot of things on this planet and that living within our bounds is, is um, we can either... Uh, uh, do our part and we all go along and, and make that a reality or we're going to get a harsh lesson uh, as a society uh, when we're forced to. You know, the nice thing is when one company does something that's truly disruptive and they get a lot of noise, you know, around that, a lot of earned media, it puts the whole industry on notice and it accelerates them changing at the same time. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's be cynical for a second. What would you say to those who are running a company right now, listening to this podcast going, you know, we're still sitting on the sidelines. You know, we don't need to really elevate or prioritize sustainability internally. Sustainability internally. That's one question. And the second part is, for those who are still sort of dipping their toes in, what's it going to take to accelerate their engagement? So naysayers, and how do you accelerate the engagement? So I, I think there's one that you'd have to believe me on. And uh, so there's two parts here. So, so one, uh, I think when it comes to sustainability because it's going to tie to these devastating global impacts that people feel being the last one through the door is not a position one wants to hold. I don't know if you have to be the first, but you certainly don't want to be last, right? When people are saying, Hey, uh, our impact on the planet are causing mega droughts in the West and we turn on the tap and no water comes out or uh, uh, the wildfire burns and my kids have to you know, stay inside and wear a mask or we have to, you know, God forbid, become climate refugees to another part of the world uh, uh, because of the impact we have. Um, if a business starts to become uh, uh, viewed as complicit in that over time because they were the last to take action, I really think that's where you don't want to be. So if you're a naysayer, like just consider the, the, the feeling of being the CEO in those shoes if you're the last one to, to embrace this. That's going to suck. Uh, um, 
on the on the more positive side, and, and we have seen this um, from our existing customers and some of our unannounced customers, when you start to look at a product that's sustainable, there's not a lot of them out there yet in this industry because it's still nascent on the supply side, the people like bolt threads. But when people do it, the response from consumers is more positive than you can imagine. Anyone who's worked with us has seen uh, uh, as they talk about what they're doing and they start to gauge the demand from their consumer, they quickly come back to us and like, hold on, Dan, uh, I need like 10 times as much as what I asked for before. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see that the people who embrace it, the consumers are hungry for this. They just don't have a way to voice that demand yet. And that should you dip your toe in the water, you're going to be met with a flood on the demand side, which is just going to be good business, right? If you have your consumers bang down the door and all of a sudden you've got the hottest product out there, it's getting earned media coverage, you're getting pricing power, maybe even, you know, a little bit of margin. Why would you, I mean, you don't even need to think about the sustainability part. I mean, it's the core of what's driving it. But like, if you, if I gave you a product that said it's in wildly voracious demand from your consumer and you're going to make a ton of money doing it per unit, you would do that deal, right? And what's driving that is the sustainability. And I think the consumers want that. And it's just not quite obvious yet. When it becomes obvious, the big challenge is going to be, unfortunately, it goes back to that timeline thing. This is a physical product that takes time to scale. There's going to be a shortage. And the ones who are early in the door are going to lock up supply. The ones who are late are going to be on the outside looking in. And in if I was to take the most uh, pessimistic case for someone who's late in the door, you might just get locked out of being able to participate. And that could turn out to be an existential problem for a business. I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, you're either going to be on the wrong side of history or the right side of history. And you're either going to be able to capture those market forces or you're not. And increasingly, I mean, I see this hockey stick of expectation coming towards business from the future where these issues of biodiversity and climate emergency and social inequity and so on, they're all compounding and they're hurtling back towards us in the present. And this luxury of choice as to how much or how fast we change is about to be ripped out of our hands because everyone is going to start to connect the dots as to why their life is so chronically compromised now. And they're going to go, wait a second, are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? And they're not going to work for you. They're not going to buy from you. They're not going to, you're not going to be, you know, top of mind in the consideration set when they're ordering whatever they want to buy online. So I think, you know, we have this very finite window of time for brands to wake up and give themselves the, the license, the time, the resources to get ahead of that. So to your point, they're ready when that opportunity arises. I mean, I know you've got, um, you know, Dan, you've got the, the leather substitute that came out in March, which is hugely exciting. But like, what, could, what can you tell us? What, what secret can you tell us in terms of what we can expect from Bolt, you know, coming forward? So well, you said something really profound there, Simon, which I think is worth reiterating for your listeners, which is, and we've, we lose sight of this in our day. We live, you know, in theory, if you're living your life right, you're living in the moment. But your actions are always judged in hindsight with perfect information. And that, that is something that's well worth remembering as a leader. Because you lead in the moment. And you're like, I don't know. I've got like 10% of the information I need and I got to make a decision. But in the future, you're going to be on the right or wrong side of history based on everyone having all of the information that you don't have today. And that's a, that, that's a profound point to, to think about for leadership. If you're in a company trying to decide if you want to dip your toe in the water, you want to be a pessimist, you want to be an optimist on this, this sustainable materials. If you want to think about you know, the future of the planet at, 
And I think that's easy to miss on a day-to-day basis, but is absolutely critical as a way to step back and think about you know, what decisions you're making and where you want to be. Because uh, I think it will be existential on on many people's businesses and uh, uh, their reputations as time goes on. I completely agree. I mean, as a function of the existential crisis we're going to face as a species and how to what degree the planet's going to be compromised, do we really think our business is going to be exempt? Do you really think your job as CEO or CMO or CSO or founder is going to be exempt from, you know, culpability in all of this? I mean, there's almost um, a head, you know, the head in the sand mentality in a lot of ways, despite all the data points that we have going on. And I, I want to say, Dan, firstly, huge congratulations on the success of Bold Threads, but also thank you for equipping so many companies and industries to be on the right side of history. Because as you say, not a lot of fashion, footwear, apparel companies or otherwise have biotech scientists, you know, leading mm-hmm. their future and so on. So I, I deeply respect that. And you know, I'm really excited for the day when we look back in the near term and go, wow, how could it have been any other way? What were we thinking? Right. Were we out of our minds, yeah. right? No one's going to remember like the blowout earnings call that you had in Q3 21, right? Like everyone's going to say you either made the moves to solve this existential problem or you're going to look like, you know, uh, big tobacco, big oil, People who chose to be maybe on the let's get that blowout earnings call rather than maybe realize where the me- where the mega trend is here and align with it and 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 you know at Bolt you know we play like I said we play a small part you know we supply the materials the creatives the marketers the the distribu- distribution of the brands they're the one who blows it out large and tells the big story but I view us as like we're the critical enabler to this part that they cannot solve themselves. And to, to go back to your, your question about Milo, um, what you're going to see, I mean, at this point, the strategy is pretty simple. You're going to see more brands launching more products with more Milo over time and all the things you know and love. We want consume. we think consumers have lots of preferences at this point and getting them to change into some wildly new product. It happens, but it's pretty rare. We think we want to show up with better versions that are both better quality and more sustainable in the things they know and love. It's why uh, uh, Adidas teased the Stan Smith Milo, right? It's this classic silhouette, you know, I see all the kids at the middle school down the street wearing Stan Smith's around. Uh, If you talk to young people, they really want a sustainable version. You bring those two things together and it's a win-win. And so there's going to be some pretty exciting products coming down the pipe. My favorite thing, I don't get to do it as much anymore because of of COVID-19, but is to go walk through, we have a little prototyping factory where we do, um, we call it the studio. We do product innovation ourselves and with our partners, with the materials we make, and we'll make little um, demonstrations of, of products. And to see when you get creatives, people who are much smarter than me about products, playing with materials, uh, which require smart sciencey folks to, to be able to produce, that together is magic. Like you see things you never would have guessed you'd be making. Um, and that, that's what I'm excited about is when we start to get, uh, start to get that, get that cycle going and sharing those with the world. Uh, some of the things we've seen so far, um, are expected. Some are unexpected. I think there'll be a lot more unexpected as the future goes on. Well, thank you, Dan, for the leadership and also for the insights today. And we look, you know, we look forward to hearing more about Bolt Threads in the future. Well, thank you today, Simon, for the discussion. This has been absolutely delightful. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can always find more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead with We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm excited to announce that my new book, Lead with We, is coming out November 9th, and it's currently available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. See you soon, and until then, let's all lead with we.